Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, February 26th, 2017. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I'd like to think that I've had three first jobs, and let me explain them. The first job I ever got paid for was mowing lawns as a preteen. Not my lawn, of course, because <laughs> that's just called chores, right? Uh, but there was uh, a friends from church, Rex and Etta Miller, who hired me to come over and mow their lawns. And uh, I was also fertilizing their lawns because they had lots of dried dog poop that I just ran over instead of picking it up, you know, just to kind of spread it around. The first uh, recurring job that I had was working for the Arizona Republic newspaper. And as a teenager, I would get up at 4 a.m. every morning and ride my bike about a mile away to the paper station where I would rubber fold and rubber band and then deliver about 55 newspapers uh, to a townhouse area. And I got paid based on how well I collected the money. This was back in the day where I had to go door to door and say, you owe me $5.25 this month. And if they were home and had money, they paid me, I got paid. If not, then I had to hunt them down and call collectors on them. And no, I didn't do that. But the first job that I got my regular paycheck for uh, was when I was in high school and I was working for a Kilauea General Store in, in the city of Volcano, Hawaii on the Big Island. I would stock the shelves, pump the gas, ring the cash register, occasionally even get to drive uh, the company car 30 miles down to the town of Hilo, uh, pick up orders, and bring them back up. It it was a great job, and I was highly trusted by my employer, Bob. Well, welcome to the second part of a two-week sermon series entitled Upside Down, A Study in the Book of Ruth. Now, in today's biblical story, Ruth gets her very first job, but more with that in just a moment. First, allow me to refresh your memories on what happened last week. A man, his wife, and two sons moved from Bethlehem to Moab during a severe famine and drought. Moab was a strange choice given the fact that the Hebrew scriptures were not too kind to the country of Moab based on their past dealings with the people of Israel. But sometimes one has to do what is best for one's family, and so it was Moab that they went After an undisclosed amount of time, tragedy stuck, the father died, the two sons married local Moabite girls, and all was well until tragedy struck again, and a decade later, both of the sons also died. This left the mom, Naomi, with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. At a time when a woman's hope, only hope for security was to be married or to have sons to take care of them, this became an extremely precarious time for these three. Hearing that the famine had ended back home, Naomi decided her only hope for survival was to go back to Bethlehem. She encouraged the young women to return to their own families. Initially, they refused, but Orpah reluctantly, over time, tearfully, finally said goodbye and followed Naomi's advice. But Ruth did not. Ruth clung to Naomi. Eventually, Naomi realized it was useless to try to argue with her, and so these two women, one older, one younger, ventured to Bethlehem. Naomi returning home bitter because God had taken everything away from her that she once held as precious. Ruth had given up both her past and her future by leaving her country and following Naomi. Neither knew exactly what was in store for them. 
I invite you to take out your Bibles or grab the Pew Bible in front of you or open your phones and pull out your Bible app. We're going to finish the rest of the book of Ruth this morning. We're starting in the second chapter of Ruth, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain and behind someone in whose sight am I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. Now, first of all, notice that Ruth isn't just referred to as Ruth. She's Ruth the Moabite. And all throughout this story, the narrator keeps reminding us over and over again, we cannot forget the fact that she is not one of them, that she is an outsider. She's a foreigner. There was so much that was stacked against her. Here she is with not much to hope for in a foreign land, but a great deal to fear. Racial slurs, ostracism, exclusion, not to mention if she's going down to work in the fields, uh, being harassed by the men that work there. But more on that in just a minute. God had provided a means for the poor to survive, as I shared with the children, and it was called gleaning. In the Old Testament books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the practice is spelled out. Farmers had to leave the edges of their fields unharvested. And they were also forbidden to go back over a harvested field to gather what had fallen to the ground or they had missed on their first pass-through. Foreigners, the poor, orphans, widows, all were allowed to come into any field and to glean what they could by picking up the leftovers. Think of it as the original food pantry, except the hungry had to go out and work for their supper. As she gets ready to go out into the fields, this literally would have been Ruth's first job. Prior to arriving in Bethlehem, she had been a housewife, probably married at the age of 13 or 14, as was the custom back in the day. And, and prior to being a housewife, she would have grown up in her parents' home. So this would have been a new experience for her, but she takes to it quite naturally. Verse 3. So Ruth went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, a member, uh, who was uh, of the family of Elimelech. So Ruth sets out to work. She doesn't go asking for handouts. She puts in a solid day of sweat and energy. She has become a gleaner. And the fields are lands that are under cultivation, usually on the outside of the city limits. They're divided into plots and are owned uh, by different of the townspeople. As it turns out, Ruth begins gleaning, working in the field belonging to Boaz, who just so happens to be related to Naomi, but Ruth doesn't know any of this on that first day. Boaz comes to the fields at some point. He's looking over the workers. He realizes, I don't recognize that one particular young woman. So he asks the foreman, to whom does she belong? Well, if the truth be told, Ruth doesn't belong to anyone, Boaz. She's not a wife. She's not a slave. She's not even engaged. Verse 6. The servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi From the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. I mean, the foreman knows, he sees, he recognizes she has been hard at work. She is no slacker. First, she got his attention, and now she's getting attention of the big boss, Boaz. 
So Boaz searches her out, and he has this to say to her. Verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean into another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. The older Boaz is concerned about Ruth's safety. She, so he invites her to stay in his fields among his workers. He makes sure that she will not be harassed or bothered, which evidently was a common problem back in the day for women in general when they're gleaning in the fields, but especially when it is known that a woman didn't have a male protector to look out for her. Unfortunately, not a lot has changed these days, has it, when the current statistics say that one in every four women will experience violence over the course of their lifetime. That is still unacceptable. Verse 10. When Then Ruth fell prostrate with her face to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight? What, what should you take notice of me when I am a foreigner? It's a great question, right? Why me? Why did you single me out amongst all the other people that are gleaning this day? Ruth doesn't know that this landowner knows who she is or that he's a relative to Naomi. Now, some men might have expected a little something in return for such kindness, wink, wink, if you know what I mean, but not Boaz. His intentions aren't strictly honorable. Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds. And may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Boaz says, I know your story. I know what you have done. The sacrifices you've made. The love that you have shown to Naomi, your your mother-in-law. In short, Boaz gives Ruth a tremendous amount of respect. And for the first time in the entire book, she's not Ruth the Moabite. She's seen by Boaz as a woman of genuine value and worth. Of course, Ruth is as gracious as always. She thanks Boaz for the kindness he's afforded her, despite being not one of his hired workers. And when lunchtime rolls around, Boaz invites Ruth to sit at the employee's table and to make sure that she has enough to eat for lunch. In fact, even some to take home uh, for later. And then before heading back out into the fields, Boaz does one more thing for Ruth. He asks, he allows her to walk among his own harvesters so that she can pick from the stalks of grain before they get picked over by his workers. And he says, you know, hand her a few stalks, uh, by the way, so she can get some really good uh, pieces of grain as well. So no longer does she have to walk among the gleaners behind the workers. She gets to walk with the employees taking the best choices as she goes. Verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. How many times have I come home from work, looked into the pantry, and wondered, gee, where did my ephoth of Girl Scout cookies go? (laughs) And if you're not up on your ancient Near East equivalents, an ephoth is roughly 29 pounds of harvested crop, which is about the amount of cookies that I buy at one time when I go to Sam's Club. 
One scholar said that back in the day, the, the daily ration of food for a working man uh, of that period would probably have been around two pounds a day. They would have picked two pounds a day. She has brought home almost half a month of wages on her very first day. Did I mention that Ruth was a hard worker? Needless to say, Naomi is impressed. And after dinner, she starts asking Ruth a few questions. Where did you work? And whose field did you glean? And Ruth says, oh, some guy named Boaz G. He was sure nice to me. And Naomi's eyes just light up when she hears the name Boaz. Verse 20. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. You notice how Naomi's tone has changed a little from the end of chapter 1? Remember when she came back to Bethlehem? She said, Don't call me Naomi, which is sweetness or my joy. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And she even blamed God for all the misfortunes that had fallen upon her. Now, her perspective has changed. And she's come to see that God has somehow provided for these two women. She realizes God indeed has not forsaken her like she thought. Friends, sometimes we just need a little bit of time to change our perspective on how God has been working in our lives. Joan Chittister, a Benedictine monk, or sorry, nun, and accomplished author, in her book, The Story of Ruth, 12 Moments in Every Woman's Life, has a wonderful statement in her chapter entitled Insight. She writes this, There is a moment in every woman's life when each of us has to learn to distinguish between men who are spiritually whole and men who are not. Either by divine happenstance or divine providence, Ruth has come across a man of honor who recognizes her value as a woman. He treats her as an equal, not as an outsider. He doesn't ignore her or exploit her, ridicule her, or attempt to control her. Boaz recognizes the quality of Ruth's womanhood, and he does his part to honor that. And Chittister finishes her powerful chapter with these words. The book of Ruth says that it is not the responsibility of women to be a civilizing influence on men. It is the responsibility of men to be civilized. To assume God made women in God's own image and then to discount their spiritual value, their human wholeness, is to distort spirituality itself. Amen to that. By the time we get to chapter 3, the barley and the wheat harvesting have all ended. Ruth had continued to glean in the fields as Boaz's guest. And each night, she brought home food for she and Naomi. Each day, they managed to survive another day in a world where they had no real safety net. And now, Naomi knows it's time to take things to the next level. Chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now, here is our kinsman, Boaz, with, whom, uh, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, all that you tell me, I will do. As we've come to see, Ruth and Naomi has grown quite close. They genuinely care and care deeply about each other. 
Ruth has gone day after day to glean in the fields in order to provide for the two of them. Naomi knows now it's her turn to do something to help ensure Ruth's long-term survival. She needs to get hitched. But not just to anyone. Naomi knows that Ruth needs someone who will value her, an outsider, a resident alien, a Moabite, just as much as Naomi has come to value and treasure her. And Naomi wants that someone to be Boaz. Now, there's a few social complications, as Joan Chittister puts it, between Ruth and Boaz that are quite apparent. First, there's the Israelite-Moabite racial disparity. Then there's the age issue. He's quite a bit older than she is. And finally, there's the religious issue, though we know that Ruth has pledged to follow Yahweh, the God of Israel. Any one of those would would probably have been a deal-breaker for most men, but Boaz is not most men. Naomi has it all figured out. Tonight is going to be the night. Clean yourself up, put on a pretty dress, head down to Boaz's place, wait until he's finished working, he's threshing the grain or separating the grain from the chaff, let him eat his dinner, drink a little wine, and head off to sleep. Then slip into his room and uncover his feet. Scholars have commented about that phrase for centuries. The NRSV says uncover his feet, though it could be better translated uncover his legs. So yes, there is a seductive, sensual component to this that we cannot ignore. Naomi is trying to capitalize on something that she sensed was already in the air. There's chemistry between Ruth and Boaz. But if we think of this only as a scene of seduction, we miss the bigger picture. This isn't a what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of night that Naomi is proposing here, not at all. This is a chance for Naomi to ensure that Ruth won't have to keep gleaning in the fields day after day for the rest of her life. She'll be able to grow old with someone who truly values her as a person. Again, Joan Chittister. If God is demonstrating anything at all in Ruth, it has got to be that we all have in ourselves everything we need to reconfigure the pieces of our soul. It's simply a matter of having the courage to be everything that God has given us the gifts to be. Ruth and Naomi will not just sit back and let life happen to them. They're ready to take things into their own hands. And the evening went off just like Naomi had planned. The narrator tells us that at midnight, Boaz awakes, startled to find himself partially uncovered and a woman lying at his feet. And before he has a chance to figure out if he was indeed dreaming, Ruth identifies that it is her at the foot of the bed and she asks him to spread his cloak over her, which is another way of stating her desire to marry Boaz. I guess you could call it Sadie Hawkins Day uh, in... (laughs) In Bethlehem, right there. Here's how Boaz responded. Chapter 3, verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. He has such high respect for her. He's flattered that she didn't run after some young buck, but chose instead a man, you know, with a little gray in his beard. Boaz sees this as more than just a woman looking for a husband. He knows that a big part of the reason why Ruth has come to him this night is because she wants a future, not just for herself, but for her mother-in-law. Ruth wants to make sure that Naomi is cared for in her 
old years as well. And Boaz sees this and recognizes as a selfless, sacrificing, sacrificing act of love. And he honors it. Now, there's another component of this union that we haven't talked about yet. Now, it turns out there's a piece of property uh, that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, once owned. Scholars are divided as to why they don't own it anymore. The best guess is that Elimelech had to sell it when the famine hit so that they would have money then to live in the land of Moab when he was taking them away. The Old Testament, however, has many regulations in place when it comes to land. For starters, it says God is the one who owns all of the land. Human Human beings are just caretakers of God's property. Numbers 36 says that the land cannot move between the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you're going to sell your land, you have to sell it within your own tribe. You can't sell it to someone in another tribe. And then there's this amazing passage in Leviticus 25 that calls for a jubilee year. Every 50th year, if land had to be sold due to economic reasons, then it has to be returned back to the original family. Amazing. Naomi has returned to Bethlehem. She had the right to buy back this land that her husband had once owned, but she has no money to do so. So along with this late-night proposal, it comes with an offer to buy back the family plot of land. And Boaz is willing to do both things, to buy the land and to marry Ruth. But, and this is a big but, there's one little technical hurdle they have to overcome. Boaz isn't the closest living relative. There's one other who is the next of kin. To Naomi. Boaz assures Ruth, tomorrow morning, I'll take care of everything. We'll work it out. In the meantime, don't go home in the pitch black darkness. It's too dangerous. Just stay with me during the night, and then I'll send you on your way with a little bit more grain for you and your mother. And true to his word, the next day, Boaz goes out to the gates of Bethlehem where all the city uh, business was done each day and finds the aforementioned next for, of kin and pre- him, presents him with an offer. Chapter 4, verse 3. He says, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know. For there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the next of kin said, all right, I will redeem it. I could always use a few more fields of barley, right? Who couldn't? And then Boaz drops the bomb. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention, uh, there's a bonus that comes along with this property. Uh, You get to marry the Moabite girl that came home with Naomi. And the first son that you have from your union will then carry on her deceased husband's name as it is written in scriptures. Uh, you know, on second thought, I got a lot to do on the land that I own right now. I might not be able to buy that property, the next of kin says. Because everyone in Israel knew having a Moabite would ruin your family line. No joke. Your whole future is finished if you marry a Moabite girl. Everyone knew that except Boaz. And so it came to pass. Ruth couldn't have cared less about being rejected by this next of kin because that meant she could marry the one person she truly wanted to be with, and that was Boaz. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. 
and they lived happily ever after, right? Well, not so fast. It gets there, though. Not only was this both a blessing to Boaz and Ruth, but Naomi became a granny. And if there's one thing I've heard Karen Tabe say over and over again, nothing beats being a granny. All the women in Bethlehem shower her with accolades and praise. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, they say to her. And they recognize the incredible sacrifice and love that Ruth has bestowed upon her. And they say, your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons. What a powerful statement. That's true. Ruth's commitment to Naomi has been epic. And when all is said and done, the child is born. They name an Obed. And the entire book of Ruth finishes with these words, verses 18 to 21. Now, these are the descendants of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Abinadab, Abinadab of Nashon, Nashon of Salmon, Salmon of Boaz, we know him, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, and Jesse of David. Anybody ever heard of a guy named David from the Bible before? Of course, it's that David, King David, arguably the greatest king in all of Israel's history, the one who the Bible said was a man after God's own heart. He would be this amazing pillar in Israel's history. Who was his great-grandmother, by the way? Oh, yeah, just some Moabite woman named Ruth. Deuteronomy 23 may have stated that no Moabite would be welcome into the community of faith, even up to 10 generations living in Israel. But the book of Ruth shows us that God's compassionate grace extends far beyond the rules and regulations that we humans have put in place. Ruth's loyalty, dedication, and commitment to Naomi and to God did not go unnoticed. She got her spiritually whole man that she was able to spend the rest of her life with. She not only became the great-grandmother of King David, but many, many generations later, there would be another leader, also born in Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of King David, and his name was Jesus Despite the prevailing norms of the day about women, about foreigners, about who might be in or out of God's kingdom, the book of Ruth gives us hope even today. There is no one, no one who God cannot use to bring a blessing. No one is outside of God's amazing grace and love and mercy. And it may seem that your life has been wrought with setback after setback. You may have made choices in your past that were less than stellar. You may even think you're on the outside looking in of society, of faith, of life. But I'm here to tell you, friends, the kingdom of God is one where everyone has value and purpose. That's what the book of Ruth teaches us. May we live that out today. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.